So that's the first step is to recognize that people have perfectly good reasons to respond in the, in the way that they do to change. And so us calling it resistance is really our own perception and frustration that they're not doing what we want them to do. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New England Lean Podcast. I'm Paul Critchley. I'll be your host. This week, I am so excited to be bringing you my discussion with Heather Stagel. Since 2009, Inclaria founder Heather Stagel has equipped individuals and teams to influence change at work. Through individual coaching, team facilitation, and training programs, she helps people make a bigger impact with less frustration. Heather is an author. She's written the 99 Ways to Influence Change and the Influence Change at Work Toolkit. She's a TED speaker. She, she's given a TED Talk on organizational change that's been viewed over 150,000 times. And she also publishes a very popular blog at her website, Inclaria.com. We will link to that in the show notes, but I will say I read that blog. I subscribe to that blog. It's fantastic. She gives so many good insights and thought-provoking posts about influencing change and something that we call here at New England Lean uh, resistance to being changed. And we talk about that in the podcast a little bit and what the difference between that is to the something that we probably all read, which is, well, people just don't like change. There are people who are resistant to change. So we talk a lot about what those differences are. I also wanted to let you know, Heather runs training programs, and she's got one coming up starting this Thursday, October 1st, entitled Fundamental, Fundamentals of Influencing Change at Work. It meets every Thursday, and this particular one goes through December 17th. I think each one is two hours, but you'd have to check her website. Again, that's enclaria.com to be sure. Um, she runs these fairly often. So I know it's a little short notice, especially if you're not listening to this on release day. Um, so if you miss this one, there's another one coming around, but I, I at least wanted to mention it uh, if you guys were interested. So give a listen. I hope you'll like it. Uh, if you do, please, uh, if you wouldn't mind, leave us a, a review. And um, yeah, I hope you like it. Thanks, everybody. All right, welcome to the New England Lean Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Critchley. Today, we're uh, joined by Heather Stagel. Heather, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited. Like, we were chatting just before we hopped on. I'm so excited we actually get to talk, like, like real people face-to-face, even though it's, well, it's on As close as we can get right now. I know, normal for now. Um, Because I know we we cross paths on LinkedIn all the time. Right. So, so it's great to have you. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, so I want to hop into a few things like that you're, I guess that I kind of know you for, um, but can you just tell the audience if they, if they don't know who you are, kind of a little bit about you, where you've come from, you know, what you're up to now, kind of what you do. Sure. I can start at, not at the very beginning, but <laughs> uh, I went to school for undergrad as an industrial engineer and went straight out of college into a job where I was implementing change, uh, implementing an MRP system. It was, I'll date myself, it was right before Y2K. 
and the whole world was going to end if we didn't change everything into, you know, new technology. So I was working on that. After that was implemented, I joined another company where I was doing more industrial engineering type work, where I was working with manufacturing processes and inventory and all kinds of things, efficiencies, just like you'd expect for industrial engineering. And I started to get the sense that there was something missing for me in my ability to get things done. And that was influence because, you know, I learned pretty quickly, you can't just show somebody your degree and do all the math and say, hey, we should do this <laughs> and have them say, yes, that looks great. And so I started to get more interested in how does leadership work? How does change work? How does influence work? And so I just started to, I started by reading up as much as I could. And then I decided to go back and get a degree. So I got an MBA with a focus in leadership and change management. And that was at DePaul University. And I did that part-time while I was working. And so I was bringing the stuff back that I was learning back to the organization that I was working for. And I was lucky enough to have a boss to, that said, okay, sure, just go and go ahead and try this stuff. And so over the course of seven years at this company, I went from being the industrial engineer to being the director of industrial engineering and organizational effectiveness mm. because they wouldn't let me let go of the industrial engineering part. It's funny. My, I remember my boss said, well, if you're going to have one foot in the clouds, you still need to have one on the ground is the way he described <laughs> it. Like I had to keep industrial engineering. Um, and so I was working on both, you know, cost savings and efficiency type projects. And I was also working on work, getting the leadership team together to work on strategy and coming up with some culture initiatives and putting together more process improvement team kinds, kinds of structures. Um, and so I really sort of did that you know, a 90 degree turn on my career at that point. Um, that was in Illinois. And so we moved to Atlanta, which is where I'm at now, I'm, you know, suburbs of Atlanta. And I joined a company that was executing, they were a consulting company focused on executing balance scorecard methodology for strategy. Okay. And so I was, we had these workshops that people would come to from all different industries, different roles, different organizations. And uh, one day somebody said to me, you know, this stuff is great that you're teaching us, but I still have to figure out how to make it work in my company when I go back to work on Monday. So I had this light bulb moment where I realized, you know, that's really something that people need is that bridge of the gap between, okay, I know kind of what I'm supposed to do, but how do I actually get this done? And so when I started my company in Claria, which was in 2009 now, uh, I decided that's what I wanted to focus on is really make change practical for people and help them to make a bigger impact in their companies. Nice. And so I didn't realize, so you started in Claria in 2009, which I don't know how many international listeners will have, but it was, that was certainly a tough time to start a business here in the United States. It was, and it was really out of necessity because the consulting company that I was working with at the time, uh, they laid me off like everybody uh, else that year. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a lot of people so in that, in that book. I thought, you know, I've always wanted to, to do something in this space and start my own thing. And so I might as well do it now because I don't have anything else to do. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And, and I guess that kind of gets right into where we were going to go anyway. So I might as well go there now in the, in the, right. The, the best segue in podcast history, which was, so you, so you deal with change and organizational change, behavioral change. Um, so in that case, 
that I guess getting laid off was your compelling case for change. And I'll be honest, I mean, that's the whole reason we started a podcast is because COVID-19 hit and I'm like, you know what, this has been on my to-do list or my want list for years. So I'm like, you know what, maybe that's my, you know, and I kind of, and it's hard sometimes because, and, and I want to bounce this one off you. Um, you know, I, we like to say that people resist being changed versus people resist change. Um, but in cases like yours or even right that we're all in now with, with COVID-19, we didn't have a choice. The change was thrust upon us. And it's very interesting to me to see the different, um, reactions that people will have to that. You know, some people, I hate to even use the term, but air quotes rise to the occasion and they embrace it. Other people, right. Ask a lot of why, why me, why did this happen? And, you know, so what do you think, how do you think when you engage with either, whether with a person or an organization who are undertaking some change initiative, how do you couch that with them? How do you coach them to approach these things? Well, my approach to, if we're talking about resistance, especially like people pushing back against change or, you know, having other kinds of reactions, like you said, it's not always pushing back. Sometimes it's avoidance or laying low. Sometimes it's, you know, not showing up for meetings or just calling in sick, you know, people have a lot of different ways that they show that they don't like something or, you know, respond in a way that is maybe not so helpful. And so when people are doing that, usually I'll, whether I'm coaching an individual or if I'm working with a project team that is trying to implement a change, I always think of resistance is really in the eye of the beholder. So uh, if you're the one who is trying to influence someone, try to implement a change, and you feel like someone is resisting, that's your perception. Because to the person who is going through this, experiencing change and not doing well with it in some way, their reaction is perfectly normal to them. It's perfectly, you know, expected. <laughs> you know, they, they say, you know, of course I'm not feeling good about this because of X in their minds. They might not say that to you. But. And if you think of it, when you are going through change, just like with COVID or any other changes that are happening, like you said, people respond in different ways. And it's not just everyone else. It's ourselves, too, that are reacting to change. So that's the first step is to recognize that people have perfectly good reasons to respond in the, in the way that they do to change. And so us calling it resistance is really our own perception and frustration that they're not doing what we want them to do. Oh, that's interesting. I never really thought of it that way. Hmm. I think, but I think you're right. So I think it's almost unfair for us to say you're resisting because they may not be. It just may be their way of processing it. Exactly. Hmm. And then there's usually some kind of underlying reason why they're resisting. And part of the challenge with us when we're trying to implement change is that we tend to try to address the behavior that we're seeing that's frustrating us. So if someone is, just keeps procrastinating, you know, they promise to get things done and they're never getting them done. We might nag them, you know, trying to nag them into, you know, um, or, you know, get their boss involved mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever we try to do. Or if they're, if they're pushing back and coming up with arguments about why it's not going to work, then we try to build, build our own arguments so that it's stronger. You know, those are the kinds of things we tend to try to do. But the problem is that, you know, if you think about it, when people do that to you, you're like, hold on, I'm just going to dig in my heels even more 
because I don't like what you're doing now. <laughs> right. You giving me more. And I'll, <clears throat> it's funny because, well, I'm a mechanical engineer, but I spent most of my career in, in on shop floors. So I'm sort of like an industrial engineer. I think you and I probably think a lot alike. And it was funny as you were telling the story of, you know, I'm like, you know, about data. I'm like, check me. I've, do I've done exactly that. I've gone back to my desk and I have a project that my boss gave me and I'm like shuffling my papers around and I'm right. And I have all this data. Like we're, we engineers are, uh, you know, we're great at slicing and dicing and, and analyzing. So I did all this stuff and I go down to the floor. I'm like, guys, look, look what I did. You know, this is going to be great. And aren't, aren't you excited? And they're all looking at me like, who are, what is your name again? You just started here like two weeks ago. And like, for, you know, I think you were a temp, you know, and it was like, you know, it was eye opening and I was a, a much younger person back then. So at least I like to think I'm smarter now about, Hey, maybe the first thing, like in lean terms, we, we call it going to the Gemba. So now if usually first thing I'll do is right. Actually go talk to, you know, what concept I actually go talk to people who are doing the work and I talk to them. And, and a lot of times, you know, what, six or seven times out of 10, how I thought and how the management team thought the process worked isn't exactly how it actually works, right? Mm -hmm. So it is interesting that here in, you know, we're almost, through, well, knock on wood, we're almost through 2020, right? Hopefully the murder hornets don't show up. Right? <laughs> Let's see what else the year brings. Um, but it's interesting that we're so far as, you know, into where we are, yet we still continue to struggle with these types of things. Yeah. It's, um, well, and it's uh, so one more thing about resistance, because I think it's important to take to just go the next step in the conversation, which is, what do you do about it? And, um, you know, people, if we try to address the behaviors that people are showing us that tells us that maybe they're kind of resisting change, that's going to backfire on us. So what we really need to do is look underneath the hood, so to speak, and try to figure out, okay, what's actually going on for them? What is their experience? What's bugging them? What don't they like about it? How are they being impacted negatively? And usually we'll find something that we can do something about when we do that. So usually it's really a matter of three different things that is happening. It's either that the change is gonna impact them negatively. And so you can't really expect them to like it. Maybe it's more work. Maybe it's gonna affect their own job. Maybe it's gonna affect jobs of people that they, they know and like, um, something like that. Or there's a fear involved. So, you know, I, I separate that from a real thing that's impacting them negatively to a fear that's more usually imaginary or some kind of, a, you know, they, they perceive that there's been a slight of some kind or they, you know, they're losing some control or, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that can trigger that. Or there's really something missing that if they had it, it things would be a lot better. Maybe they don't have information. They don't have the skills. Uh, maybe there's sort of a lack of trust or maybe they don't have enough resources and not, not enough time to get things done. So if we can uncover that and figure out what's really going on, then there's something we can address, something that uh, can help them move through the change instead of pushing back. Have you, can you give us an example of something like that that you, could, that you can share? of, you know, somebody that, you know, seemed, I'll say, seemed resistant at first, and then you looked under the hood, and, and lo and behold, there was some, right, thing that 
only that person knew about and finally like you could address it or help the team address it? Sure. Uh, the one that comes to mind is one, a story that I tell in my Fundamentals of Influencing Change at Work class uh, about how I was actually, one. this was something that happened to someone else, but it's such a compelling story. I have to share it. So I was talking once with someone who was a program manager who had a monthly meeting that he needed a ton of different people to show up to. And in our conversation, he would just complain about how there's one person, she never came to his meeting, she just never showed up. He was getting really frustrated with her. And so I said, well, have you ever asked her why she doesn't show up? Well, no. <laughs> and so I coached him a little bit about how to have that conversation in a non-threatening way. And then the next time we talked, he came back and said, well, her boss told her she shouldn't go. So it was her boss who was the one who was saying, this isn't important enough. You shouldn't be spending your time on this project. But he was mad at the wrong person. Right? Mm -hmm. So she didn't really have the power to be, you know, part of this change that he thought was so important for her to, to attend. And so then the, the issue is, okay, what, what do you do about the boss? Mm -hmm. And so then you have to start working on politics. You have to start getting, you know, higher ups involved usually to have the conversation with their peers, depending on the culture of the organization. But that's an example of, you know, really thinking that it was one person who was resisting change when it was totally out of their control. Right. And isn't it interesting that again, right. It's like, did you ask her? Oh no. <laughs> right. Dude, I didn't even think of that. It's like, so simple. And of course you don't want to accuse someone of resisting change because that's probably not going to go well. Right. They're just going to get defensive. Sure. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're, ha you're genuinely intrigued just saying, Hey, I noticed that you haven't been coming to this, these meetings. It's really important, actually, that you do because that way you can share your contribution. Um, what's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, just casually ask right. the question. And that's uh, so. I'll share a story that I tell sometimes. Um, in one of my previous jobs, I was the facilities manager on top of engineering manager. So that means means I had uh, the maintenance department under me, and one of the maintenance guys all of a sudden <clears throat> was getting to work late. And it wasn't by much, it was five or 10 minutes, but it was one of those things where every Monday I'd get the, you know, the uh, punch in, punch out report and I had to go through and right, go talk to so-and-so, hey, you were late from lunch on Tuesday last week, don't let it happen again, you know, that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm seeing this pattern. And uh, <clears throat> so I go to the supervisor, his supervisor, which reported to me and I'm like, hey, you gotta go talk to, right, so-and-so. He's like, okay, I'll talk to him. So another week goes by, same thing. Hey, did you talk to so-and-so? Yep, talk to him. I said, well, he's still, he's still showing up late. <clears throat> Third week, same thing. Well, short version of the story. As it turns out, um, basically, so the super, my, this, his supervisor wasn't a great communicator. So basically, he just said, hey, uh, don't show up late for work anymore, okay, in the morning? Because, you know, Paul's on me about it. Okay, boss. And that was essentially about it. What was actually going on was... Uh, now, mind you, this is February in Connecticut. So, and these guys started at like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, February in Connecticut is very cold and very dark at that time of day. What had happened was his, his car had broken down and um, he was relatively new to town. He didn't really know a lot of people and he was too embarrassed to, to say anything to anybody. 
So this guy would actually get up at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning and walk to work like oh, miles, wow. several miles. And he was like, he was doing the best he could. But I mean, no kidding. It's like, I don't know, 10 degrees outside and pitch black dark. I mean, so anyways, we, so that didn't come out till finally, like I said, the third week, we both talked to him and I'm like, what is going on here? You know? And just like you said, you know, it wasn't like, what is your problem? Why can't you, you know, it was like, this is not like you, this is a new thing. Like what is happening? So we figured out a way that either he or his super, like one of us would go pick him up. And, and nobody had to know anything because it was the whole thing. He was just too embarrassed. Like I can't afford, you know, because I have all this stuff going on. So, and it's just, you know, I use that example because that was, I mean, trust me, I've screwed that up plenty of times, but that was one, one time where I felt like we got it right. And he felt okay about it. And like, we actually got through it and, you know, and it was just, you know, to me, I'm just thinking about when I think back to it, it's like, what would have happened if I had been like so many of my previous bosses, your previous bosses, people listening, where it's like they, they shoot first, ask questions later. Like, yeah. I want this. If you can't give it to me, I'm going to go find somebody who can, period. You figure it out. It's not my problem. It's your problem. And that's not, it's like, I, I, I don't know how you treat people like that. I never, I could never rationalize that. So Agreed. Anyway. So why do you think, so, so we'll switch gears a little bit. Why do you think this stuff is so hard? I mean, I have a business that, that, right, that is built on helping people do this. So do you, so don't thousands of other people. So why do you think that is? What do you think people struggle with so much? Hmm. Well, I think that a big part of it is that resistance piece. You know, when I'm, uh, when I'm talking to people or sometimes I do surveys occasionally find out what are the biggest challenges that people have. And the top two are always pretty much the same. One is resistance. Again, they're perceiving that there's that resistance to change, whether or not that's real or not, we just talked about. Um, But the other one is leadership, where you've got leaders in the organization that aren't really doing what they need to do in order to lead the change at all levels. So not just, you know, executive leadership. I'm talking about even those supervisors on the floor who really aren't communicating, they're not role modeling, they're not holding people accountable and following up and, you know, all the things that we really need leaders to do. And the thing is that if you are more of a change agent, which I define as someone who is implementing change without that direct authority with people who are going through change, um, it's kind of hard to have that conversation with leaders and they can, they can just say no. (laughs) Right. And so then it becomes a matter of, okay, you know, how do I, convince this leader to actually do what the things that they need to do. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit. How do you, how do you suggest, I mean, I know it all depends, but how do you help people figure that part out? Because managing upwards can be difficult. Definitely. And the first thing that I always suggest is to really get clear about what you actually need, because going into a leader and saying, do you support this change? And then saying, sure, right, <laughs> or even an emphatic, yes, of course I do. That still isn't really helping, right? So mm-hmm. you need to get clear about what you really need them to do. And different leaders, depending on their role, you might need them to do different things. And so if you get clear about what are the things that you need them to communicate and who do, you need to com- who do they need to communicate with, 
uh, how often do they need to do that and making sure that they actually have what they need to do that well. Um, and then it, all the other things that we need leaders to do, they need to make decisions that actually support the change instead of send mixed messages about it, things like that. Right. Like telling an employee, don't go to this meeting because it's not important. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, get really clear about what is it that you really need them to do because that's the first step in asking for what that is. And then have a conversation that's not just, you know, giving them a bullet point list of here's what I need you to do, but actually going through and saying, you know, if we're expecting your team to do these things, you know, we need them to come to training. We need them to be actively speaking up, asking questions, you know, all the things that we need people who are going through change to do. You know, if we need your employees to do this, then these are some of the things that would be really helpful for you to do to make sure that they do that well. And then have that conversation to say, you know, which of these do you feel comfortable with? What do you need help with? How can I help you be successful at this? And design it in a way that they come out of it feeling like it, part of it was their idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know that leaders, you know, because they have that authority, they want to make decisions. They want to be in charge a lot of times. And so, you know, if you give them, that to them a little bit, that can help to get them to own it. Right. Yeah. And right. To, oh, yeah. I mean, that sort of makes sense, right? I mean, we all kind of want to be masters of our own universes. Definitely. And uh, certainly, I, you know, in, in management, I'm trying to, you know, I'm thinking back to all the, I've worked for big companies and small, and I think that's pretty common. You know, I mean, people are managers, presumably because they want to be, and they want that, right, that span of control and all that fun stuff. And hope, but hopefully at the same time, they're, you know, they believe in servant leadership and right. So to your point, that, that clarity of communication, like, here's what I need. Here's what the team needs. Here's what I need you to do. What do you think? Let's talk about it. Right. Get here. Your ideas more collaborative. Right. Yeah. Well, I would add then also get that agreement to follow up afterwards saying, you know, is it okay for me to come back to you? If I feel like, you know, if I see that maybe you're sending mixed messages or, or we're not getting enough attention from you. Is it okay if I come back to you and we can have that conversation or, you know, get that agreement that you can give feedback later. Right. So then it's easier to do that. Which is an important, I think a very important piece that I don't know if you'll agree. I'll ask you if you will agree after I say it. I wonder how often that happens. Right. So do people do that a lot? Do they, do they have relationships that are good enough built on, trust and respect that they can have those conversations? Or do you think that, is that where typically change initiatives kind of fail? Well, I think that, yeah, it depends on, it depends, right? That's always the answer, but it's, it depends on the different relationships you have with people. So there's some people that it's easier to come back and say, Hey, Joe, you should do this next time, you know, <laughs> and other people that is more like walking on eggshells. Right. So, um, I think if you, if you remember to take that final step in the conversation to think about next time, then it can go a long way. Even if it's not somebody that you have the best relationship with, if they agree that you can come back and say, you know, give them feedback, then, you know, they said it and you can, you can start the, con- the next conversation as, Hey, remember when you said that I could come back to you with feedback? Right. right. <laughs> Let me just tell you a little bit about what I'm seeing yeah. or what I'm hearing, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. So along the same vein, 
Um, let's talk about failure rates of, of change transformation. So if I asked you, Heather Stagel, what percentage, or I can't say lean, what percentage of organizational change transformations fail? I don't know, what do you think? I would say that that is not a good measure. <laughs> Everyone else would quote some articles saying that it's 70%. Right. So anybody listening, just FYI, that's actually how Heather and I sort of met. We wrote independently, because we don't know each other, independently we wrote very similar posts about the fallacy of quoting these these failure rates. And in our terms, it's lean and hers is organizational change. But but we kind of connected there because I think we drew a lot of the same conclusions, which is the, why I threw, that was a great food question, I'll admit it, right? But so, but so let's 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 pick at that a little bit. Why do you think there's so much of that? And I'll pick on LinkedIn, right? That's our professional, right? Social media. Why do you think there's so many articles out there that say seventy percent, ninety-five percent, somewhere in between, or is it you know change transformations fail? People hate people just don't like change. And if you don't do these, you know, it's my five key tips on how to implement change and. But if you don't do all this stuff, it's you have an 80%, you know, whatever, percent failure rate. Why do you think that's so prevalent? Uh, it gets attention, plain and simple. It's a way, to, way of selling whatever you're about to say. Right. Or whatever you're about to sell in a lot of cases. Yeah. So you'll see people say, you know, it's a well-known fact that 70% of change initiatives fail. So many articles start with that way. Um, but it's funny, they never actually say, and if you do these things, it'll be more like 50. Yeah. <laughs> or it'll right. be more like 30 or, you know, they never have the antidote with a, an actual statistic of how well it works. That's one, one red flag that actually this number is totally fabricated. Right. And I think as it probably, well, again, I'll project a little bit as engineers, we probably had, just, you know, that similar reaction to, you know, industry experts agree that blah, 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 blah. It's like, wait, time out. Where Which citations, industry? please. You know, and actually for a little while, I would do that. I was trolling. I trolled people on, on LinkedIn. And I'm like, where'd you get that number? And they're like, well, it's my experience. You know, some people are like, oh, I saw it on so-and-so or whatever, right? And you and you dog that down and it's, it goes nowhere. Or other people would be like, well, it's my experience of, you know, uh, 30 years. I've seen thousands of companies and dot, dot, dot. It's like, Really though, really have you? And it was funny when I I'll tell you, when I wrote my article, the people that f I won't say fought me, but the people that that took me to task the most were all the people that wrote books about lean failure rate. And it's like, to your point, it's like, well, because I'll t you know the the title of mine was why zero percent of lean transformations fail. And I'll tell you, I did it. I did it to poke the hornet's nest a little bit. So guilty. Right. But at the same time, it's a little bit of hyperbole. Now, if, if I had written or you had written an article, same thing, right? 70% of organizational change fails. And here's why. If you don't have top management support, it'll fail. If you don't communicate it correctly, it'll fail. If you don't have clear objectives, right? Now, I will say all that stuff is true, I think, right? You would agree. Yeah. Right? So you, we know what the, the, the ingredients are to, to right, make the bread. But I'm like, so the one thing I'll tell you, and I don't know if you've done this, one thing I like to do, and I've given up, because my wife yells at me all the time. She's like, why, why are you waste your time? You're not going to convince anybody. 
but so if somebody throws one of these things out there and I'll be like, so when I'll ask for citations or, right. Or where does this come from? But the, the one I do like to whip out of my back pocket when somebody's particularly arrogant about it is like, Oh, so what you're saying is, so you're a lean consultant, just like I am. So are 90% of what you do in your work fail? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, no, no, we have, right. And then it's, well, we have the special sauce. I'm like, sure you do. Sure you do. So what is your failure rate then? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good luck getting them to right publicly say anything about that. But it is, so anyways, not to focus on the negative stuff, but it does in, intrigue me why it seems to perpetuate, right? And everyone's like right now, I can't say on LinkedIn, I've seen a lot of that because um, I think everyone's preoccupied with COVID and, you know, trying to figure out what the, you know, new normal is going to be or whatever. Um, I'm sure it'll come back, you know. Sure. We'll just keep having to try to convince people one at a time. I guess, I guess so, right? Well, I think we're fighting the good fight. I mean, I, I refuse to, I refuse to give in. Um, although I did admittedly, you know, it was interesting. I get, I don't know if you did. Um, did you get any like hate mail from your, when you posted your article? I don't think so. Um, there's not any that stand out. Hmm. No, I had a, I had a couple like, you know, posts on, and I, Hey, I'm not saying I'm the expert. I, I don't even use that term. I don't think there necessarily is such a thing. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm like, hey, I, and I said right in my post, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm giving you something different to think about other than the same old stuff, right? And in my case, I'm like, listen, lean is continuous improvement. So if it's continuous, by definition, you're never done. And if you're never done, then how can you fail? Now, certainly you can, you know, if we have a, Kaizen or an organizational change, right? Say somebody puts a team together, Heather, we need you to help us get to hundred percent on time delivery or whatever. Right. So you, right. So you go through all this stuff, the team gets it to 99.9%. Well, is that failure? Well, right, right. Then, you know, where'd you start from? Was it 40? I wouldn't consider that. So I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, throw a BHAG out there, shoot for the stars. If you hit the moon, I'm still happy. I'm much more right it's much more about be clear, right? Like you said, and like, here's really what we need to do. Let's, let's pull together. And I'm not going to use the F word if you don't get to hundred percent, 99.9. Hey, I'll take it. Let's keep going. What else can we do? But I'm not going to come back on, you know, after a week long Kaizen event on a Friday afternoon and say, well, you didn't do what I need you to do. So you failed. And it, of course it matters how you right, contextualize the whole thing too. I mean, if you come down on folks that, you know, like you're dropping the hammer on them, that's much different than say, okay, well, we didn't get to where we got and we needed to, what else can we do? I guess to your point, it's all about the, you know, how you collaborate together and all that fun stuff. But anyways, I guess we'll have to just wait and see if, like you said, if it comes back after, right? I hope not, but it probably will. Coffee bag. For 35 years or so. So uh, it probably won't, right? It probably won't go away, unfortunately. But so we all, so I like to take a little bit of break where, you know, we're getting towards the end a little bit, but I like to um, take a break in the interview and, and do what we call the wicked fun part because we are New Englanders. So we like to say wicked to us. Uh, are you up for that? Yes. All right. So I'm going to just hit you with five or 10 questions and just blurt out whatever you whatever comes to mind okay all right I'm first ready. one what do you think about when you're alone in your car 
Um, lately, it's did I bring my mask? <laughs> Good one. Me too. I can't tell you the number of times I have to turn around. Like, oh. Usually, it was always phone keys, wallet. Now it's phone keys, wallet, mask. Yes. Uh, what's your favorite song and why? No, I don't. I don't know if I have a favorite song right now, but I do have some that are stuck in my head uh, because my husband is a sound engineer and so he works a lot on music. Oh, okay. So th this week it's been uh, Bridge Over Troubled Waters, but like an upbeat version of it. Oh, all right. <laughs> and uh, Under Pressure. Ooh. So both of those are kind of in my head. Nice. The, the Queen Bowie song. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, hey, there's worse ones. Baby shark could be stuck in there somewhere. <laughs> Luckily, right? my kids are older. They didn't go through a baby shark phase. We, we, I'll say we just barely missed it on the tail end, but it still made an appearance. Um, what advice would you give a previous, your, your last previous boss? My last previous boss. Got to think about who that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's been what, 11 years now, I guess. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, my last previous boss. I would say put yourself in other people's shoes a little better. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go into that. <laughs> nope. That's all, that's all you need to say. That's what I would say as a boss, okay. that it's important to put other people, put yourself in other people's shoes. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's see. What's the funniest thing that's happened to you recently? Funniest thing? Um, I don't know. Has anything funny happened to me? <laughs> I feel like I've just been stuck in the house for months. Well, yeah, that's have. true. Good point. Um. I can't really think of anything that's funny. That's pretty sad, actually. <laughs> we'll come back to that one. You see if it's something pops in your head. I hope it okay. does. Um, how about what inspires you? What inspires me? Uh, people that want to make the world better. It's a noble That's effort. what I would say. And I, that's, what I, that's why I like the job that I have now is because I get to tap into that and help other people do the things that they're meant to do. Yeah, me too. honestly, me too. I mean, I, you know, making more widgets more efficiently is fantastic. Um, but it's, it's the ch change in people's act, you know, lives overall, that their work just becomes easier. And they're not as stressed, right? Mm -hmm. And they can enjoy the time they're at work, which, let's face it, Monday through Friday, we're at work more than we are at home, but they can go home feeling that they accomplished something they're ha you know, that's the, that's the, that's the, I don't know, the special, uh, that's the, the core, I guess, of what drives us to my, drives me. That's the, that's my favorite part. Uh, what's one thing nobody knows about you until now? Until right now, um, I am an expert crocheter. For real? For real. In fact, if you look behind me, there's this baby Yoda. Yeah. Right there. I made him. Well um, done. That's cool. I learned to crochet when I was probably eight or nine years old. Uh, I had an aunt that taught me how, and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. I, stuff like that is great. We have a client in Vermont. Turns out the guy grows award-winning giant pumpkins. And I'm like, 
who knew? Like, I asked him just randomly. I asked him that question one time, and he whips out all these pictures. I'm like, holy! I mean, these things are half the size of my pickup truck. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh! So, yeah, everybody cool. has a thing. <laughs> everybody has a thing. When are you the happiest? Um, probably snuggling on the couch with one of my kids. Yeah, me <laughs> like too. Rough day after school kind of thing, you know? Yep. We just, just need to be there. Yep. That's me too. Turn the phone off and just get under the blanket and check out for a little while. Yeah. What's, this will be a good one because your husband's an audio engineer. So yeah. we just, I stubbed my toe on this one just now. What sound or noise do you love? Um, well, the previous question just triggered this. It would have been like the sound of my kid's laughter. Yeah. Like that genuine, like deep throat, like. Yeah, the belly laugh. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's mine too. We have two daughters. They're 15 and 12 now. And uh, between the two of them, they have different senses of humor, but they're both, I can see myself in both. And there's sometimes when one of them will get the other one going and it's just, you can't, this is a double negative. You can't not laugh because it's just, it's, it's like pure, it's like what pure joy sounds like. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Wow, would I like to attempt? I don't know if I'd want to do this for a living but I feel like I could be handier. <laughs> okay. Like around the house, like be able to learn how to do plumbing or electrical, you know, that kind of thing. I think that would be helpful to know how to do. Hmm. That's your engineer coming out. Yeah. I think, right. I think so. I, cause I do most of that on my own stuff and it drives my wife insane. She's like, why can't we just hire like normal people? Can we just call a guy? And I'm like, I can do this. I can figure this out. That's what YouTube is for. The only thing it takes, you know, it takes five times as long. Right. All right. Final question. What's your biggest fear? My biggest fear. Right now it might be that we're in this for the really long haul. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping that's not the case. Me too. Um, although I think that if it, if it ends up that way, you know, I'm kind of an optimistic person. I think that we'll figure out a way to live through it. Hmm. Uh, figuratively and metaphorically. Right. <laughs> figuratively and literally, sorry. Right. I knew it. Um, yeah. But I, you know, if I were to answer that truthfully, it would be, um, like I've had nightmares before where I had to pick, between one of my kids, I have two kids. And so I had like pick one of them to have something either good or bad happen to them. You know, like yeah. that's the thing that would really, yeah, <laughs> that would break me. <laughs> me too. hundred uh, percent. And it's interesting. Like, you know, my, my wife and I were dating and, or, or, you know, newly married, we didn't have kids. And, you know, we'll sometimes we'll go on walks around there, but we talk about this stuff and, and it's interesting that, it's changed so much because now I'm right there with you. My, our biggest fears are all surrounding them, that something bad happening to them or, 
you know, they're, you know, like our oldest is in high school and it's, it's all of the high school stuff. It's like reliving high school. And it's like, I forgot what a pain some of this stuff was, you know, it's like, Oh, geez. And it's worse. Like, I think it's worse. Like when you and I are in high school, we didn't have phones in our pockets and social media and, you know, and it's just like, so it's constantly in your face all the time. And I hate it. I hate it for that, for that reason. You know, there's other stuff that, I think it's good for her. But anyways, so, all right. So thank you. Um, so we're going to wrap up. So is there any final, is there anything I didn't ask you or, um, or actually, I'm sorry. There, I uh, forgot to mention, I saw your TED talk on YouTube, which we'll link to in the show notes, by the way. So uh, if anybody's interested, you can check it out. So that's wicked cool. Well, that's wicked cool. I, that's something I've always wanted to try and I haven't, I uh, just haven't gotten to it yet. So congratulations. Thanks. It was, was fun. What was that like? Um, nerve wracking, yeah, <laughs> but exciting. I was really proud to have done it. Um, it's been five years now um, mm. since I did that. It was at the uh, TEDx at Georgia State University okay. here in Atlanta um, on the topic of how to deal with resistance to change. So there's a little more information there for people. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was neat, and like I said, we'll I'll link to it in the show notes so people can check that out. But so. Back to the original final question. Is there anything that I didn't bring up or ask you that you think people might want to want to hear or you think that people should hear about resistance change, change? Um, I would just sort of tie a bow on it as it's so much worse in our minds than it is in real life. And so, you know, we've got to stop having conversations in our heads that are only that only stay there. And start talking to people and, and figure out what's going on and help them with the challenges that they've got. I think that's a great, I might steal that one. Help them with the challenges that they have. Yeah. And I mean, you do that and that's right. I mean, that's it. That's the key, I think, or one of them anyways. Yeah. Take away the obstacles and there's nowhere else for them to go but forward. Right. Nice. Well, that's a great place to end. Heather, thank you again so, so much. If, if people want to um, follow you, find you, where can, where can they do that? Uh, the best place to start is on the website, and that is inclaria.com. Okay. And a good place to go there is a page called Change Academy. You can find that in the top menu. And that will have a list of a number of different resources for you, including a free course that I offer on five drivers of change. Nice. And I think you, you mentioned you have a, a course. No, you do a lot of courses, like coaching courses, right? And of course, right, you'd probably do like we do virtually now, I would imagine. Yes. And your next one, what, October? Yeah, the next one is starting October 1st. It's called Fundamentals of Influencing Change at Work. And it's a very in-depth class where you bring a project, you're going to work on it, apply all the principles on your project in class. And so um, it's actually 11 sessions. So it's over 11 weeks to uh, wow. two hours a week. And by the end of the class, you'll have just tons of things that you can do to implement, implement the change that you're working on. Nice. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. I'll link, we'll link all that stuff in the show notes as well. So that way people will make it easy. They can click and check it out. Great. Thank you. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right. Heather, again, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Um, this was awesome. I, I, I mean, I learned so much in just the last 45 minutes. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show.
Hi everyone, it's Paul. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks for listening. I hope you found the podcast to be both entertaining and educational, as that's really what our goal is with it. If you did like it, please give us a review and a subscribe. The more folks who do this, the more the algorithms like us, so the more people will be able to find us. I also want to give special shout outs to Emma Critchley for her video and audio editing abilities, which quite frankly are way beyond mine, as well as Jeremy Grant and the team at the Timber Cross for their creative genius. I appreciate you all. I invite you to connect with us as well. We're all over social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, so we should be pretty easy to find. We share a lot of content that is much like what we talk about on the podcast, so it may be of interest to give us a follow. You can also find us online at newenglandlean.com. That's our website and it outlines all the services we provide, things we do, customer testimonials, case studies, white papers, as well as being our main conduit for story sharing about all things that are lean, quality, and culture change focused. So check us out there as well. Finally, if you have any thoughts about the podcast, things you'd like us to discuss, things you'd like us to change, or if you wanna be a guest or know somebody who would be, please email us at podcast at newenglandlean.com. We're always trying to improve and welcome any feedback. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, make it a wonderful week.